Hello and welcome everyone. I'm super excited to introduce to you my next guest on the Sweet Empowerment Podcast. What a delightful time I had with her. I love her spirit. I love her soul. I love her voice. And I especially love the message that she has to share with us today. Her name is Debbie Emick, and she is the author of The Other Side of Perfect, Discovering the Mind-Body Connection to Healing Chronic Illness. And she is also the co-creator and blogger at GoBucketYourself.com. She is the co-host of the One Life Live It podcast. She lives on the plains of southeastern Colorado with her husband, two daughters, Denali, her dog, and her six chickens. And when she's not traveling to the mountains, the beach, or Spanish-speaking countries, you'll find her there in her sunroom or on her porch sipping hot tea. Debbie and I had an amazing conversation, and I know you guys are going to get so much from this. So please welcome Debbie Emick. Hi, Deb. I'm so excited to have you here. Hey, Kristen. Thank you so much for having me. This is entirely my pleasure. I'm grateful. When I was reading your book, I read a part in it that said, I think it was near the, no, it was in the beginning. I don't know if it's the beginning or the end. I just know it was in a very powerful place where you said, this is the story where I ultimately found the light within me. Mm. And just saying that tears my eyes up, it gives me chills all over my body. So I would love for you to share with our listeners, uh, what started you down the healing path and later writing this book? So could you share a little bit about your backstory? Sure. Well, thank you uh, for reading it. Um, I'm just like, my body is so empathetic, even that you just say the word tears and my eyes start to tear up also. And you must be a fast reader, I have to say, because I was not on my game and I didn't send that to you in very much time for prep. So I'm just grateful uh, to you that you read it and um, have nice feedback. I appreciate that. Uh, Let me interrupt real quick since you're saying that. I just want everybody to know that this was one of those books that I couldn't wait to the next paragraph. Mm. I could literally feel your heart in your writing. I was like, I was with you. I was in the moments with you. I I could just feel, and I understand that healing journey too, like not the physical part of it that you do, but the emotional part of it. And Mm. I was like, wow, this is her writing. It was captivating. So if this is your, your first book, way to go, sis way to go. Oh, thank you. That is so generous. That feels amazing to hear. Um, thank you. I'm glad that you could, you know, relate to it. Um, what happened with me was about 10 years ago after the birth of my youngest daughter, I, I just had health issues that maybe were whispering to me before, but I couldn't ignore any longer. And so for instance, um, mowing the lawn one weekend, I couldn't push a shopping cart after that for days, my wrists and elbows and shoulders hurt so bad that I couldn't really use them. My family and I like to be really active, but I had a lot of trouble doing hikes that normally I wouldn't have had any trouble with. I had to slow down a lot. And so finally I decided to go to the doctor and just find out what was going on. And that started this really long, um, winding road of autoimmune disease diagnosis and treatment and trying to really, truly heal eventually. Right. And so I began taking my power back or what I thought was one tiny piece at a time. And so I began just working on what I ate, um, And then I began eliminating some toxicities in my environment, the products I used um, until eventually I had this conversation with my rheumatologist where she said, it's too bad you have to work. And so that really started this line of thinking of rearranging my whole life, really. I had been a classroom teacher for 14 years and decided to step away thinking like, this will be the magic bullet. This is the final thing that will solve all of my problems and I'll, you know, get better. And what I found after leaving the job that I had tied up so much of my purpose in was this very deep, dark place. So now I was still sick. I was still in pain. And I found myself in this very dark hole. 
and kind of thinking things that I never expected that I would. And so my work forward from there was really clawing myself out of that darkness and making efforts to never go back, um, really hoping to break some cycles for my own daughters and not create new ones. And it was through that that I, I began working on my emotional health as well as my physical health. And when I did so, this physical pain in my body began to lessen and eventually leave. And so I could not deny that connection any longer. And that just kept me going down this path. And that's really you know, uh, the shortest version though, it doesn't seem short that I can get, you know, from point A to, to now sitting here with you, um, talking about all of it. Yeah, I understand that completely. I mentioned that to you that I have a good friend that's been down this journey too. And she went down the emotional healing path as well and removing the toxins from her environment and, and all of those things. I completely understand that because I've walked that, that journey with her. So what made you turn the corner. I don't know if that's the right word going from the Western medicine to feeling like you needed to go down the emotional healing journey, because that's a huge step for a lot of mm -hmm. people. They really put all of their trust, faith into doctors, pills, science, you know, that type of thing. But there's this whole other arena where we bring in what I'm calling Eastern. I don't even know if that's the right word. You're shaking your head. So I'm assuming it is, <laughs> um, you know, the, the whole other arena into this thing. And so what started you on, like what piqued your mind up to go, you know what? I need to work on a different area. Yeah. Was that's it such a good question. Oh, go ahead. Was it because you went into a dark place after quitting your, your classroom position? Uh, that was definitely the biggest motivator, right? I never expected to be thinking what I thought at that point, which was basically like, it would be better if I wasn't here. Just realizing that that had sort of come into my line of thinking was scary enough knowing where that might lead, which, you know, luckily it never did. Um, but I have to say like that when that was going on, there wasn't a whole lot of awareness around it. It was just more like isolation, withdrawing, uh, not communicating that to anyone. Um, luckily for me, I kind of came out of that metaphorical and literal winter and into the spring. And when that fog sort of started to lift, I could look back at it and go like, whoa, that was deep. And I don't want that to happen again. Mm -hmm. What do I need to do? Um, also there were people and instances put in my path just, uh, for, you know, definitely magically, energetically, intuitively, all of that stuff that I think there is science behind all of that, just like there is what we think behind pills and people with MD after their name. It's just that we recognize one more than the other, I think. And in retrospect, now I can see so much science behind it. But at the time I saw it um, as just mystical, magical, woo woo, like, eh, this is a real disease and real stuff going on with me. You know, that's not what's going to solve it. Uh, but what happened was I was looking for a probiotic thinking like that's the next thing that's going to help me the the gut brain connection right. the connection to our mental health our physical health and so i thought that's going to solve you know my problem and i was confused by all the choice out there not sure what to buy all the prices and so i went to this chiropractor i'm using air quotes and told her I needed a probiotic. And she kind of just saw right through that. And she was like, whoa, you know, let's back up what's going on. Um, and she ended up doing some somatic work on me. So using my body's cues to, to release and just acknowledge some things I was holding on to in my body. Can um, I just interrupt you for a minute? And for anybody that's not sure what somatic means, could you explain that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So, um, to me, somatic is the way that we physically hold, mm -hmm. um, 
maybe things that don't seem or feel physical, right? So in my life, uh, at a much earlier point, preteen, some early foundational teen years, and through my teen years, I experienced some trauma. Like, I think that's the best word for it, though that's used a lot today. Um, And so I never really dealt with that trauma. It was never discussed. It wasn't something that was like open in our family to talk about or with others. I never sought help or, you know, saw a counselor. And what happens in our bodies when, when we go through that is a very real, very scientific process with our nervous systems. And when we don't ever acknowledge heal from, release those things, our nervous systems get trapped in this fight or flight response. Mm -hmm. And over years and years of being in fight or flight mode, though those hormones that are never meant to, to be in your body, like on a very regular basis, cause actual chronic illnesses, diseases, right? And so for me, the somatic healing was a practitioner just sort of feeling the cues from my body. And when she did that, it felt very uh, mystical and magical again. Right. And I was definitely a skeptic. I went out telling my husband, she wants to do this. Why would I do this? And a good friend, like looking for other skeptics. And they were both like, you've tried everything else. Why wouldn't you try it? And so I did. Um, yeah. So she, they, they were like having your back and just saying, yeah. go, go. Yeah, that's a big part of all of it, right? We need connection, we need support. And so yeah, with their encouragement, I did. And, and it felt like, you know, I'm doing this just because she says I'm going to check this box. Uh, But what happened is she would feel within my body what I was holding her own way of listening to my body's cues, and then kind of putting words to what my body was doing and helping me literally just release like years worth of held stuff. And so a physical reaction started happening in my body for no real reason that I could understand, but you know, just like emotion was coming out. So, um, this is me really trying to explain this well to anyone listening, but you know, I would sweat and I would cry and my nose would run and I wouldn't fully understand why. And it was uncomfortable but I went back a few times and really in a matter of months, I started to feel better than I had felt over like seven years of trying to heal and get better. And so that is what somatic meant. There's a lot of ways of doing it. There are techniques called EFT, which has to do with your eye movement, Mm -hmm. um, some tapping, uh, and a a Google search of somatic might help explain it a little better Mm -hmm. than I just did, but that's what the experience was like for me. Yeah, that's, that's remarkable. You mentioned just a a little bit of go that are a little bit ago that people were put in your path. And I'm a firm advocate about us being led. And, you know, when we really desire something that the universe slash God will Mm -hmm. step in and help to guide us. And it's, it's sometimes we need to follow those signs and cues. So could you talk about, because a lot of people might miss those signs and cues because we can get so caught up in our struggle or wherever we're in our mind, our ego, our fear, that what's trying to come in and help us, we might be ignoring Mm -hmm. because we're, we're, we're too busy trying to control, right? We're over here trying to control everything. So Being someone that was in that position, like you were struggling, it was hard. You did not feel good. You couldn't hardly do anything that you could do before. You know, there's then these things were coming into your life. Is that what you're explaining with this lady as she kind of came in and then everybody pushed you towards it? Or was there other signs and cues and how did you know to follow them? Yeah. Uh, I, all the words you're saying, if I could put them together, um, what I like to call it is synchronicity, right? So when you're feeling guided and led to something, and then something else sort of comes into your path that affirms that and helps you keep going. For me, this was and is so important because the coping mechanisms I had developed because of my earlier trauma were people pleasing and perfecting. And 
doing that for so long, right? I wasn't really great at that at the beginning. I was never perfect. I never thought I was. I'm sure no one else ever thought I was, but I was constantly just ratcheting that up. And so doing that for so long and then being at this point in my mid thirties, mid to late thirties had gotten so good at it, right? That I had no idea what I wanted or needed. I just knew what I thought other people wanted and needed from me. And so, um, I really felt like I had no intuition left when I was in this really dark place. And I, I really beat myself up about that. Right. So what that sounded like internally was how could you be 34 years old and not know what you want? How could you not know what you need? How could you not communicate that to other people? And so it, it was clear that to heal, I had to develop that, uh, my own intuition, my own independent way of being in the world to find my real purpose. So I could get out of that darkness that harder than it sounds like it should be. Right. Uh, and the easiest way for me to go about it after a while of this process of like failing and beating myself up and, and not knowing was to just allow myself to be curious Mm-hmm. And then just step toward those curiosities and do what I could to stay out of my head, right? Just be in my body and my own knowing and acceptance of if it's wrong, it's wrong. If it's right, it's right. Each one just leads you to the next step. Another thing to me that's really helpful is knowing I don't have to know all the steps, right? I can have a vision of where I think I want to go. I'm not going to know all the ways to get there, but I, I, I know the next one, right? If I get really centered, I know the next one. And so for me, the synchronicities were like listening to a talk by Brene Brown and then reading her books, listening to a talk by Glennon, uh, Doyle, Glennon Mm -hmm. Melton, and then reading her work, um, going to the chiropractor because a neighbor, you know, suggested that, Uh, so just being open to seeing these things and taking the next step and following my curiosity sort of led to this like swirling effect of just going to the next one and the next one. And yeah, eventually people were put in my path that really helped me appreciate and love myself and realize like, that's the starting point of all of the healing and the growth. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I could keep going, you know, it obviously just kept going, but but that's kind of, uh, how, how that worked for me. Yeah. I love that so much. I just love that. I think curiosity is like, it's one of my favorite words, Uh curiosity. Let's just get curious, curious Mm -hmm. about what things mean, what's happening, why things come into our path. I'm somebody who really pays attention to really anything that's happening in my life. Now I'm like, what, there's a meaning here. And I, and I go within, I go into my heart to feel what the meaning is rather than trying to, you know, cognitively assign a meaning to it. I try to feel my way through it. Do you find yourself doing that? Like feeling yourself more through life now than you've ever had before? Yeah. I actually wanted to ask you, like, how do you go within? Cause I think that's an important part, right. To get like out of our heads and into our bodies more into that sense of knowing, how do you do that? Well, I think for me, it it might be a little different story because I've been super intuitive since I was a little girl and, and the talk of my mom didn't call it intuition, but the talk of knowing things, the talk of that, it was always in my life. So when things would come up for me, I, I just felt like, plus being an empath, which I'm not a big fan of that word because it's used so much, but Basically, I've kind of changed it into energy reader. I like that word better, Mm. picking up on energies and things like that and and being really quiet. So when I'm quiet and I'm in observation mode, I can literally like, oh, he's going to do that. She's going to do that. This is going to go, you know, I can feel like almost what's going to happen ahead of time. So for me, it was just trusting myself, but being quiet first because, you know, needing to get in touch with myself. If I'm too busy doing, or like you said, pleasing and being perfect and trying to do all these things in the outside world, which I wasn't doing as a child. I later moved into that in high school and a little bit later because, you know, 
the stakes were higher. People weren't going to like me. We weren't just throwing dirt clouds at each other in the street. You know, it was like the stakes got higher. So, but then revisiting that again later, just when I was quiet and then being able to follow those things because they always were true. Mm -hmm. That's what it was for me. It was just, they were always true. It was never not true. So I thought, okay, I need to really start to recognize how this is happening and how it comes, what it feels like in my body when it comes. Mm -hmm. That all sounds so familiar. Um, I think over the years of like trying to be everything to everyone, be perfect, I got so out of touch with that own inner intuition, right? And so for me, um, some first steps were like learning to meditate And so I could only do that for like four minutes at first, but Mm -hmm. just doing that, I had a really hard time doing types of movement like yoga because I wanted something like fast and hard. And I think that let me still deny all of this inner voice that was going on. And so I started practicing just first recognizing I couldn't slow down and why was that? And then practicing things that um, allowed me to do that. And, and definitely journaling feels a lot like a flow, like tapping into that intuition, just letting that flow and go. But yeah, I I can really relate to what you were saying about just having a knowing or an inner guide or an intuition, but I just denied it and was a skeptic of it and ignored it for so long that it took a lot of care to sort of bring that back to me and begin to trust it. I love that you mentioned slowing down. Mm. That's still a reminder. I have to give myself, you know, slow down. You got your, your, you have nothing to prove. This is no rush in life period. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, and to me, it was always about trying to control, trying to get to the next best, best thing for whatever outcome I thought I was going to get, whether it was happiness or joy or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn to be present now, which is I know a big part of what you learned too was learning to be present. But what I'm really fascinated with is the, the mind body connection Mm -hmm. and how this is a real thing. This is a absolutely real thing that people can heal through Mm -hmm. chronic illnesses based on healing their insides. Now, I'm sure you and I are both not saying that they need to ignore their doctor Mm-hmm. You know, can you speak on that a little bit about how both sides of it was helpful yeah. to you? Definitely. Um, yeah, I am not a doctor and I am not a psychologist and I would never tell someone to ignore either one. And I would definitely tell you to seek help. What can happen a lot in our medical profession is though, like when, when you end up going to the doctor a lot and, and you have a lot of specialist appointments, especially women can feel ignored or unseen or sort of excused away. Mm -hmm. Um, And for the longest time, if someone said like, you know, what are you doing about stress? To me, I took that personally as like, it's all in my head. Um, Mm -hmm. And that meant it wasn't real. And I know now um, also based on, you know, scientific data, Mm -hmm. real stuff, that it it's everywhere, right? There's no right. separation between the mind and the body. It's all connected. It all works together. And so I needed and still do need the help and support from my specialist. So for me, that's a pulmonologist, a rheumatologist, a cardiologist. I still take a few prescription medications that help my, um, auto, my immune system stay calm Uh, and not attack healthy tissue in my body. And that's important for my livelihood and my longevity. And at the same time, I know that there are other things that I can do within myself and my environment to um, just help myself further along. And for me, I tried all of these things for so many years, right? Prescriptions first. I gave that you know, like, okay, we just have to find the right prescription. Didn't find, uh, ultimate health from that. So then it was about supplements and, uh, food and all of these things. And what happened to me, because I was a, a perfectionist, people pleasing type of person, it just ratcheted up Mm. my ability to perfect. Right. So I Mm. over-controlled my food. 
I over-controlled my exercise, right? Until I was almost punishing myself and wow. restricting my food too much. And it wasn't until I could go back and realize like why I had developed those coping mechanisms and how I used those as a way to control other people, right? Through their perception of me and control myself um, and how I use that to sort of numb away dealing with the real work I had never dealt with that I, I, I couldn't heal until I connected all of those dots. Yeah. So, um, so I, I had to have, you know, medical help and I still do. And I'm grateful for, for those specialists that I have, but I had to do the other piece too, or it never, I never found healing until I did that. And, and I'm still on that path. Um, there's no real arriving, right? I'm still sort of stripping back layers and unpacking it all. But with each bit of awareness, I can move away from the control and the um, numbing or the coping and move toward a healthier, authentic, real, vulnerable way of showing up. And I think that's where, where real healing and health is. Mm. I, I agree. I love that so much. And I love that you said the stripping away of the layers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I went through a, a big awakening awareness thing like 12 years ago and 10 years. I don't even know how long it was. I don't even like to think about when it was. Mm -hmm. And I was, I thought I was done. I was like, oh, well, I figured this out. This is awesome. And then mm -hmm. as time went on, I was like, wow, there's some more, there's more layers. There's more layers. And then it became really exciting to me because I realized there was no destination. There wasn't a place I could perfect. There wasn't an arrival. There was no grade that was going to be given to me. And I could just do this on my time and strip away and peel away. But it became fun to me to mm. uncover more because I knew how much was on the other side of it. There was so much on the other side of it because I started to see the results. I could go on and on with you about that and have a million questions, <laughs> but I want to stay on touch or on point with this particular question, because I think this is something a lot of people deal with. And that is, you said that getting in touch with your emotions was difficult to even know what you felt because you had so not paid attention to yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and really just were caring about everybody else. So I, I see that a lot too, in my coaching practice. In fact, I have a list of emotions that mm -hmm. I have people look at sometimes. And sometimes they say, I don't know what half these are, you know, <laughs> just what would be a typical emotion to somebody else. Can, is there any advice or anything you can offer to people, or maybe just what you did to start getting in touch with your own emotions? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is so important because I had shoved emotions down so deep yeah. for so long uh, that I thought like that was the way to deal with it in a healthy way, right? I, I truly believed that like I'm a positive person. I forgive, I forget, I move on. And moving on meant never talking about it, never bringing it up, never having an issue with it. Um, and I didn't realize until I felt so completely, uh, you know, just like unfixable that, um, that I had never really moved on from it. I had just held it so tightly inside that it was like, I was dealing with it again every day. I just wasn't aware that I was. So for me, this is about feeling in your body, what emotions feel like. So it's so, it sounds just so ridiculous or obvious, but, um, I had never really let myself feel anger. So that was a weird emotion for me. And so I'm just going to use that one as an example. When I would feel anger instead of being like in my head, like, oh, uh, ooh, that's icky and wrong, you know, a perfect person, or that doesn't make people happy. You shouldn't be feeling that trying to push it down and suppress it. It was about stopping 
letting it be, that doesn't mean I have to say anything or do anything. It's more about not doing either of those things Mm -hmm. and just feeling it inside. So maybe for me, that would rise like with a burning in my chest, and then it would rise through my nose and come out through tears. And the longer you sit with it and feel it, the more you'll feel it shift and move and change in your body. Mm -hmm. And so I really believe that's the first step of just stopping, not trying to change or suppress or move on and just feeling what it feels like. And that's more so that you can allow it to be felt and then you can allow it to move through you. And eventually you can allow it to lead you and guide you and teach you what the next step is. Another thing I found really helpful is maybe personifying emotions. So Mm -hmm. maybe for me, anger, um, looks like a woman with dark eyeliner on and a dark hat. And maybe she's smoking a cigarette. I don't know. And I call her Madge. I just totally made that (laughs) up on the fly, but you know, being able to personify them sort of takes the good bad out of it. And it's just like, Oh, Hey Madge, I see you there. You showed up today. You know, what do you need to say? I'm here to listen. And so that's more playful and fun. And it's less about, oh, I'm a bad person because I'm angry and more about what's my anger here for today. I'm going to listen to it. I'm going to let her tell me what she has to say and then see where that leads. That is one of the funnest things that I have heard so far. I love that. It's just allowing them to just be emotions and to not have any judgment around them but you brought up an amazing point because I was, as I was writing my next question, you kind of answered it. I said, well, what about people who are afraid of their emotions, mm-hmm. especially things like anger, because anger can feel very powerful. And you said, you know, turn anger into match, you know, not, yeah. not turning the actual feeling of anger, but wreck, you know, personifying it, turn it into something that, that you can just go, oh, I see what you are. Okay. Hi, there you are. Mm-hmm. And just in, in, and, and I'm, I'm air quoting now, normalizing it in a way, just making it like, it's just an is. Yeah. You no, know, just, it's just anger. Doesn't yeah. it's, you, no one's going to die here. It's just anger. You know, I, I had like to, that thought too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, why is it so scary? I mean, ultimately it's like, it was so scary for me that I pushed it down for years and years and years not realizing that like each time I was maybe triggered or something brought it up, I was reacting to it inside my body, hormonally, chemically, Mm -hmm. every time without having an awareness of that, but also reacting in a way that I was unaware of. And that's what perpetuates those cycles, right? Like would maybe teach my daughters to be perfectionists or people pleasers or cope and numb in other ways. And so in retrospect, it is like, why was it so scary? Cause I was really doing that scary thing over and over and over again. I was just unaware of it. Uh, the other thing is like my anger eventually turned into rage. I didn't do this publicly or around my family, but in private, I would uh, like listen to these dark songs and just let that emotion come out that can be like a bit tricky. You know, you might want, if you're in a really deep, dark place, you might want to talk to like a medical health provider before doing it, but just raging in my kitchen to these songs, or I would go out, I live in a rural place. And so I go out on a run and I would yell on my run as I was listening to those songs or scream or cry or whatever it was, no one could hear me. No one could see me, but it was like that energy needed Mm. to get out of my body. And so it feels scary because it's so foreign, uh, in retrospect, it's like, I should have been much more afraid of what I thought I was doing to help myself than actually releasing those emotions. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think it's scary because it's big. It's, it's a, it can be, it can feel outward where think about the, another emotion being sadness. It's kind of withdrawn and within, and it's kind of Mm -hmm. small and it's kind you know what I mean? But anger appears to be so big and scary. Also, I think it's how it was modeled for us. You know, if we had a a parent that went, oh, I'm so mad, but they maintained their composure and they, 
didn't scream and yell or take it out in other where other areas. Or we had somebody that was just a complete crazy person when they were angry. Yeah. Also, I believe for me, it was, is what, a, what emotion is getting listened to in the home? You know, mm. if you were quiet and calm in my house, nobody was listening to you, but the minute you got mad, all ears perked up, you know? So it, it, there's like so many aspects of this, right? Mm. But I love that you're talking about, you know, having these rage parties basically, because <laughs> I did the same thing in my healing work. And I said, I have to let this out of my, I know I'm feeling so much anger right now. And I need to let this out of my body. And, um, I'd cry alone in the car and I would scream into pillows. Sometimes I would throw things, but nothing like through a window or anything like maybe a pillow onto my bed. You know, I'm mm-hmm. always really careful about being safe, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I didn't want to freak anybody out, but I knew I had to move this energy. Mm-hmm. And can you talk about what it feels like to move that energy. Like, how do you feel afterwards? And I think a lot of reason why people don't want to feel something like anger or frustration, whatever, is they feel like it's going to like take over Mm -hmm. for like ever now. Okay. Now I've let the anger in now it's here forever. Like, Mm -hmm. how does it feel for you when you release that in a healthy way? This is a common fear. I think with a lot of different places, right? So in autoimmune disease or chronic illness, I think we're afraid that once we feel better, if we feel bad again, we'll get stuck in the feeling bad, right? So like, oh, my pain is gone this week. Next week, I feel tired and sore and sick. I'm going to be stuck here forever. Or with mental illness, I know, you know, it's like, you come out of a depression and you go back into the depression and you think now I'm stuck in this depression forever. And, um, it's important to know that you won't get stuck, right? Each Mm -hmm. time you're dealing with something, you're, you're acquiring more tools, more knowledge about yourself, about your, your system, about how to move forward and not move backward and not get stuck. Right. So each time you, you just learn more about how to move through it and out of it without denying it or suppressing it. And, and for me, really learning that, that you had to let it out was about another synchronistic moment. Um, reading the book by Michael Singer, escaping me now, but a really good book about just allowing it to release. And so release is kind of like a movement again through your body, right? A a rising, like I said, it it may be different in different people. Um, I hold emotional pain in my shoulders and in my thighs. And, and it took several months of like working on that with the chiropractor to let that release, but it's kind of like this building um, and letting whatever come, come, right? So uh, for me, it's tears, liquid, like out of my nose or sweat. Liquid. Yeah. Um, and asking for help. So just to like source energy, whatever you choose to call it, like take this from me, let this, mm. you know, I want to let this go. I don't want to carry this anymore. And that's really helpful. I think that at least for me, it's important to communicate that it's work and it's Mm. tiring. And so it feels draining afterwards. And then what comes from that though, is just an openness and a space um, Mm. that wasn't there before. I think just a bit of freedom, like it is freedom. It is you, you embody, I love all your words around that. Yes, it's, that's exactly right. There's a space. There's a space that wasn't there, but again, tearing up, because this is what I do. Mm. It's that space that wasn't there before. And it's like, you've just walked into a clearing and you're like, it can be like this, Mm. you know, there's that, wow, more of this, please. Mm -hmm. And it kind of starts the ball rolling, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that for anyone who's scared, it's good to know that it's a choice, right? So kind of the fear is like, how will I get through this? How will I get out of this? And just know that you'll get through it or out of it, however you choose to get through it or out of it. And so I could continue to choose to suppress or deny or not deal with. And I saw where that was leading. And and I had a vision of where that might end up. And I, I saw and felt what that did to my body. 
or I could choose to, in this moment, really finally deal with the thing I had never dealt with Mm -hmm. and see where that led and choose the next step and the next step after that. And you're right. It just left a space and a freedom and more choices that I didn't have before. I love that choice because it's, we always have that choice, Mm -hmm. you know, and I know you, I'm not sure if it was in your bio or if I read it somewhere in your book, but you talked about being your own hero, Mm -hmm. which is really advocating for yourself and going, you know, nothing is, nothing is coming to save me. If Mm -hmm. I, I need to, this is part of my spiritual journey here to, to either step up or not. And you get the choice. And that's what's beautiful about it is no one's forcing us to do anything because no one can force us either. Right. Mm-hmm. You got to be ready and wanting and willing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That was a big lesson for me. Just coming to awareness of like, I'm waiting for someone or something outside of myself. Excuse me. <clears throat> My throat is, uh, but I was waiting for someone or something outside of me to come rescue me or save me or make me better or show me the way at least. Right. And that just led to more and more misunderstanding and, and disappointment and pain and struggle. Um, and so, yeah, it really was about learning that I am the one that's here Mm. to learn how to save myself so that I don't keep perpetuating this cycle. I just so love that because you're talking about when we're waiting for somebody else to come. Yes. We have that expectation that something's going to happen. There's a huge degree of disappointment Mm -hmm. in it, but when we take radical responsibility and we're not expecting anything, we're just Mm going to travel along the path, you know, with our little backpack and our (laughs) glass, you know, our bottle of water and keep going and trying new things. There's, we're go, we're braving the unknown and we're not really expecting. I mean, were you really expecting anything when you went to the chiropractor and she did that somatic work on you? I mean, you're just kind of like, yeah, okay, let's see what's up. Mm-hmm. And then, it, and then it turned into this, right. It turned into this amazing yeah. journey. So I thought this was important to address. You spoke about this briefly was how would you encourage, invite, advise, whatever word feels comfortable for you, a person who is on the, either the physical or emotional healing path to cope with the highs and lows because they do come. Yeah. I think that every, every step toward healing and health is first about awareness, right? So just being the noticer of what's happening with your self-talk in your mind, just observing, not judging or changing or trying to suppress. So we already kind of got into that. And once you can just notice without deciding if it's good or bad or right or wrong, or trying to move out of that quickly or identify with it and attach to it, you are able to detach from it, whatever it is. Right. So for me, that was like, I am not my pain. I am not my body. I am not my diagnoses. I am not my mom or my dad. I am not these roles I've played in my life. I am, you know, so that was the detachment, but that couldn't come until that awareness was there. Just the noticing without the judging. And from that place, we can, we can have a lot more, um, intuition about what is for us and, and then decide how to move toward it with a more light perspective, just holding it loosely, um, stepping toward it one step at a time and practices in my life that help me through the lows and the highs, which can be equally as draining and difficult when we're in those highs, we forget all of our tools and what to do for ourselves also. Man, right? Yeah. <laughs> we did. So, I know yeah. I did. Like, we're like, oh, this is great. And now, you know, <laughs> Now what happens to us? We're drained and burned out again. So, um, some practices that help me with that awareness and detachment and intuition and just stepping lightly toward that are a meditation journaling, Mm -hmm. um, moving my body in a loving way that loves my body, 
fueling my body in a loving way. Like you said, how cute, like how playful we're just traveling along with our little backpack and our bottle of water and also getting a good night's rest, right. Mm -hmm. And being really clear about that and what we do in our bed and what we don't do in our bed so that we're able to sleep. That's something I forget. Um, you know, having my phone in my bed is what I meant by that. Um, yeah. So, um, I think those are the steps and knowing yourself enough to have a practice around what keeps you in a place of awareness and clarity so that, you know, I may, I might be in a low, but I'm going to move through this and it's going to show me what's next for me, or I'm in a high and I, I know, you know, how to move through this so that it can lead me to what's next for me. You know, I've heard of this and I think this is relevant to this is people talk to talk about parenting yourself. We both are mothers and, you know, making sure those kids get those 12 hours when they're little and making sure they're hydrated and their sunblock mm-hmm. and they're having healthy meals and this and that. And then somewhere along the line, we don't do that for ourselves because for whatever reason, and then it's kind of like, I had to come back and like really start treating myself like a child, so to speak, that someone that I care so deeply for and, and how would I protect me the way that I would protect and care for one of my children? And mm-hmm. I see that, do you see the parallel of what I'm talking about? Yeah. 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 I think a buzzword for it right now is called reparenting. Mm. And I didn't really know that, but when I started working on like self-love, there are just so many pieces of healing that are kind of hard to say without turning some people off because of buzzwords or whatever. Right. Ultimately what happened was I had this little girl inside of me that never felt seen or heard Mm -hmm. and needed that so that I could move on with my life in a playful, fun way. Right. So it was about giving her time and space and energy to express what she never got to before. And then just taking her hand and moving along through life from there on out in a fun way. Like I can take care of you now and let's go have some fun. Um, and so that's the inner child work, right? Our, our inner child is just like crying out for something. There's some pain or hurt. And then when, when we allow that to happen, we can move forward in a loving way that cares for our inner child and have a more playful, fun, like sense of ease about it. But for so long, it felt like, Ooh, self-love or that selfish <laughs> or whatever, you know, um, or inner so child, Ooh, this is that thing. Yeah. People talk about the inner child. Yeah. 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 It's cause it's true. Things can get kind of worn out. Like the word empath, it's like everything mm-hmm. and everybody's an empath and it's like, okay. And then it starts to become kind of a kind of like a song you hear too much. Like you loved it the first 6,000 times, but by the 7,000 time, you you know, mm-hmm. so how do you think that this healing journey has changed you as a parent? How has that trickled down? This is just the perfect transition from what we were talking about, because what happened was my whole purpose for getting better was because I knew my daughters were worthy of something more but I could not find that worthiness in myself. And so I just was, I kept doing like adding to the things, trying to heal and get better for them. But at a certain point, it's not about that, that, that just becomes more of do as I say, not as I do Mm -hmm. right there little selves see it and, and feel it, whether I do or not. And so I'm telling them, this is the right way to be and show up in the world. And this is what I hope for you and want for you, but I can't do that for myself. Mm -hmm. And so it had to become about finding that worthiness in me so that I was so full that that fullness just spilled out. I mean, I hope this is the greatest hope and I get it wrong so many times, Mm -hmm. but the, the hope is I'm so full that that love just spills over and can't help, but like soak into the people around me and, and the two most important of those people being my daughters. Right. Mm-hmm. But now I want to be the example, not the just word, you know, do, do what I tell you to do. Right. But look, I'm really doing this. And, you know, I hope that this shows and, And I'm so full of love that I can't help, but have love for you too. 
Well, and they model after us. I mean, it's, it's fascinating to me watching that, how, how my kids show up in the world based on my growth. I mean, it's been yeah. amazing. It's like, they always say to be the best parent, work on yourself. You know, the best gift you could ever give your children is to work on yourself. And I a hundred percent agree with that because like you had touched on way in the beginning, like if you were in a people, ple- my mom was an extreme people pleaser and she was always like, Shh, you know, you know, give in, give, you know, oh no, no, don't say that. Don't ruffle feathers. Don't that, that, yeah. that, that. And so she was passing that to me. I had the most amazing mother full of love. So this, you know, no diss on her. However, she taught me to try to, to do that too, where I'm mm-hmm. telling my children, speak up, share your heart, share your truth, stand in it. You know, yes. you did uh, consult your inners, what are your inner, your heart saying, you know? And so it's, it's amazing how, how it organically different. We're going to show up as parents when we really do this inner work to heal ourselves. And it just, mm-hmm. it fascinates me. Yeah. And that was, again, my deepest fear is like, uh, what am I leaving or giving to my girls that I'm not even aware of, which was trying to make them perfect to make other people happy. Right. Which is unfair and unattainable. And whether I'm telling them that my actions are showing that. And, and just as we were talking about emotions, uh, one of my parenting techniques before would be like, okay, you know, you can throw a fit, but you need to go do it here. Like here's your space and place. So like in your room and then I could stay calm and whenever they were ready, they could come back to me. And now looking at what I was really, I thought I was being a good parent, uh, not like getting pulled into this or getting angry. Um, but I was really showing them only certain emotions are okay around me. Right. And so it took me coming to this awareness and accepting my own emotions, allowing that to, to also tell that, you know, your emotions are okay. Like that's Mm -hmm. fine. And yeah, hopefully that makes a big difference in the future with what they come to me with and how we're able to be around each other. Um, But that was just completely unawareness of all of these things that I, I was pushing off on them too. So. You know, we're getting close to the end here, but I have two more things I want to say to you. One was a quote that really stood out to me mm-hmm. in your book, and it was from a doctor. It just, I think it said, my doctor said, and he or she said, you know, I think your heart is still a little angry about something, but I don't doubt that you have the power to help it heal itself if mm-hmm. you don't give up. I loved that. I was like, oh my gosh, that go doc, first of Mm -hmm. all, go doc for recognizing that and and using those terms, I think is very endearing, but also like having no doubt in you at all. So is this a doctor that you had prior to your healing work that you just kind of let into your healing work? Or was this a doctor that was helping you with your healing work? This is so good. Um, I will make this as short as I can, because I know we're trying to wrap up. After I had been working hard at healing, I got like the most dramatic diagnosis I had gotten ever. And, and so just short story, it's called pulmonary hypertension, which is high blood pressure in your lungs, which causes heart failure in fairly short order. And because of that, I acquired a cardiologist and I also sort of beat myself up, right? Like I'm better than this now. I knew better. Like, how am I still getting, you know, more diagnosis? And so I had been doing tons of healing work, but I go to him and he was the only and first doctor that ever, he said he was going to write me a prescription. Um, and he wrote down four things on a piece of paper and I'm kind of rolling my eyes inside. Like, I don't want another prescription. And he wrote down diet. So like uh, he, he, a plant-based diet, which we don't need to get into, but no other doctors had told me I could control my health with what I ate. Mm. He wrote down movement. So like 30 minutes, getting your heart rate up every day, but then he wrote down love and connection. Wow. Yeah. And then the last thing he wrote, yeah, exactly. The last thing he wrote was mental, emotional health. And he looked me in the eye and he said, 
or eyes. I have two of them. And he said, I don't mean just like meditate or do yoga. I mean, find the rug, pick up the rug and sweep everything out from under the rug. And he's a doctor. So he's rushed and he's going through this spiel that he goes through with everyone, but it was meaningful. And it's because he had cardiology patients that continued to die, even though he put them on the right medicine, even though he told them the right things, he thought, you know, what he had been taught in medical school. And so he did his own research. And these are the top four things that there is tons of medical evidence for that will change your health for better or worse, depending on how you address them in your life. And so that was the best prescription he could give me. And I still have, I just saw him yesterday on a telehealth appointment. Um, but yeah, great, great doctor who's done a lot of his own research. And, and that's where that came from. That makes me so happy. I love that because that, that tells me that, that this is starting to get integrated into mainstream, which is, you know, wonderful because sometimes I feel we're a little behind in that over Mm -hmm. here in America. I don't know, but yeah. Okay. So there's one last thing that I'm going to say when we close up, and that is, I really love this statement. And I I think this might've been in your closing. There's so many more things I could ask you and talk to you about (laughs) because it's, it's been so fun chatting with you. You wrote, I no longer try to control the perceptions of others through protect perfecting my body, my actions, or attempting to perfect the people I love. That just, I was like, ah, what a beautiful sentence. Absolutely beautiful sentence. But I also love that you not only talked about yourself, but you talked about trying to perfect the people you love. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, that made me tear up. It's yeah. it's a good reminder, right? <laughs> because um, things happen that trigger us again, that like push us back to maybe where we were before. And it's good to know we can get out of that. And so I need to keep reminding myself of that too. Um, the thing about others is just that when we behave unconsciously, When we are not aware of our own coping and numbing, we are not aware of how it affects others and how we put it off on others. Yes. Um, Yes. And so ultimately perfecting people pleasing is about control. And, and for me that the way that I uh, controlled the way I numbed and coped showed up in the world was very societally acceptable. Right. And so that kind of just kept that cycle going. And for some people, it's not so much, it's about alcohol or drugs or something that isn't, you know, food or something that isn't quite as acceptable, but I was doing damage by numbing and coping. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just hoping through awareness and consciousness, I can undo some of that and create more health for the people that I, you know, come in contact with, like my daughters every day, you know, they don't, they don't deserve that. So I think you hit, yes, you hit the nail on the head in that whatever is unhealed inside of us, we're going to point outward to somebody else and try to get them to change that thing mm-hmm. that they're doing that is, that is ultimately, you know, triggering whatever it is inside of us, a, but also we're not looking within. So we're trying to control our environment all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, Deb, where, Debbie, where can um, people find your book? The book is called The Other Side of Perfect. And I turned the page. So I'm <laughs> oh, <laughs> the subtitle. Okay. The Other Side of Perfect Discovering the Mind Body Connection to Healing Chronic Illness. Where can people get their book or get in contact with you? Yeah, the book is everywhere you can buy books online, essentially. So Amazon, for sure, Barnes and Noble, Walmart, there are some independent booksellers online too, where you should be able to find it. Um, if you'd rather go that route, or you can go to gobucketyourself.com forward slash books, and we'll help you find it there. If you want to connect with me personally, the best way is through Instagram. I'm at imperfectprogress.me. So that's I M perfect 
progress.me. I will uh, respond to your DMs. I'd love to connect with you, learn more about you, learn how I could help you. Um, if you go to gobucketyourself.com, obviously you can email me there too. And I'd love to connect with anyone that, you know, feels like they'd like someone to have some communion with and go through this together. I'm sure those of you who are listening can hear and feel the love and the gentleness of Debbie's spirit. And just knowing if, take this as a sign, if you're feeling at all called to reach out to her, she's a safe place to connect with and to start perhaps your healing journey, or just talk about something that's been going on with you and just get the ball rolling. You know, we all need somebody who understands. And if, if you're feeling called that that might be Debbie, take her up on her offer because that's an amazing, amazing offer that she's given you guys. Well, Debbie, thank you so much for being here. I really, really, really appreciate it. And so much love to you. And it would be really nice to have a part two, maybe sometime in the future. That would be great. I'm just so, you're so generous and kind and, um, I'm doing my best to feel worthy of all of your kind words, but I am just so <laughs> grateful uh, for this connection. And thank you so much for the space. Thank you. And time. I hope you all enjoyed this interview as much as I did. And if you did, I would sure appreciate it if you jumped over to iTunes and left me a five-star rating and review. And don't forget to share it with someone that you love. Until next time, everyone, remember, you matter. <laughs>